Welcome back to the Complete History of Coffee, Episode 20, Coffee History Recap, Part 2. This episode, we will briefly cover everything we have talked about in coffee history thus far. I also have a coffee tasting I am very excited for. But first, I have some little treats to start the episode off. This should hopefully be a fun episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy a cup of coffee with me as we jump into episode 20. I recently went to the largest chocolate and coffee festival in the world, so here is a little sneak peek at that. Some of the best chocolate I've ever had in my life. Wow! You got the dark What was that? Look like you got the sandals. Eric! Welcome back, guys. We're literally at like the world's biggest coffee and chocolate. The world's largest festival. We're gonna try everything. Let's go. Trying some cascara tea. It's uh, the outside of the coffee. It's the fruit. You brew it like a tea. Yeah. It's like a white tea. If you want to watch the whole episode, then head over to Garden Shed Productions on YouTube to hear the rest. Next up is a taste of what's going on with our members feed. This episode, we're looking at tea in Europe. So certainly um, sweet, creamy. There is a little bit of a subtle spice. This isn't a very spicy chai, though. I've definitely had spicier chais before. But overall, this is a very good iced chai latte. We left off last time with tea in 14th century Japan. This episode, we will be looking at tea as it spreads to the West. The first appearance of tea in European literature is from a work by the Venetian Giambattista Ramusio in 1559, titled Voyages and Travels. Ramusio was the secretary of the Venetian council, which allowed him the opportunity to meet the Persian merchant Haji Muhammad, the very man who was credited with first introducing knowledge of tea to Europe. In his work, Muhammad is stated as telling him, quote, All over Cathay, they made use of another plant, or rather, leaves. This is called by those people Chai Katai, and grows in the district of Cathay, end quote. Chai Katai means literally, tea of China. In the region in question is referring to Szechuan. I'd like to get a 10-piece McNugget and uh, a bunch of the Szechuan sauce. Like, as much as you're allowed to give me. In, in 1998, they had this promotion for the Disney film Mulan, where, they, where they, they, they created a new sauce for the McNuggets called Szechuan sauce. He went on to add, quote, They take of that herb, whether dry or fresh, and boil it well in water, end quote. And then he adds a list of medical benefits from the drink. 
Now, of course, most people would assume the English introduced tea to Europe, but they were actually late to the tea party. Get it? Tea party? It was actually the Portuguese who first opened trade relations with the East in 1497. Yet tea seems to have been missed in this trade. Although a missionary from Portugal did write to the King of Portugal in 1569 of, quote, a bitter and red-colored medical drink called cha, and they are drank by wealthy people to serve for their guests, end quote. Interestingly, cha, or chai, is actually the Cantonese word for tea, while the word tea is a Fujian word. So countries who were introduced to tea by land like Russia, most of mainland Asia, and the northeastern half of Africa called it something like chai, while the rest of Africa and Asia, along with most of Europe, Australia, and North and South America, call it something similar to tea. One notable exception being Portuguese, which calls it chá. But back to the big question, who first introduced tea to Europe? If you want to hear the rest, then head over to Patreon and consider supporting this podcast series. Not only do you get exclusive episodes, access to transcripts of the show, and a chance to win merch, but by becoming a patron, you hope to keep the show going and future projects in the Complete History Podcast series. Next up is our coffee tasting. Today, I have a bit of a special coffee tasting for us. I went ahead and made a cold brew out of Jamaica Blue Mountain. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jamaica Blue Mountain is one of the more expensive coffees in the world. It's kind of up there with um, like Kona coffee from Hawaii. So all in all, it's going to have... Um, fruity aspects to it. It's also got a little bit of like a nutty, chocolatey, because uh, it does have that Latin America. Now, because of that, I went ahead and got an orange and I carved it out, leaving a little bit of the orange juice inside of it. So that way, when we pour our cold brew in, we're essentially using this as a cup now. And we're kind of getting a little bit of those orangey aspects in the cold brew. So let's see how it smells. Well, right off the bat, I mean, I'm getting a lot of the the roastiness from the coffee, but I'm also getting a lot of the fruity sweetness from the orange. Let me see what it smells like straight from the cold brew itself. So that's interesting. Um, I'm definitely getting a little bit almost more of the the nutty aspect from the straight cold brew, but I definitely get a little bit more of the fruity from the orange, obviously. Let's try tasting it. That's definitely a pretty good coffee. Um, it's very smooth. I mean, it has a very complex, deep profile to it. Um, but I definitely get a lot of the oranginess. There's almost a light acidity to it. So the uh, orange is definitely kind of um working with that acidity in a way it's kind of bringing out like a, a fruity citrusy kind of aspect to kind of uh balance the acidity of the coffee now i'm not getting as much of the the chocolate and the nutty but i'm sure if we paired this with something like a 
brownie with nuts in it or something, we'd probably get a lot of those aspects. It just kind of depends on what you're trying to bring out in your pairing. So this one's definitely very good. Um, so I highly recommend it if you want to try it at home. Just uh, I did a French press of a cold brew of the Jamaica Blue Mountain and just carve out an orange. To start, I want to cover some of the earlier parts of coffee history, like we did in our episode 10 recap. But this time, I will be mentioning some of the alternative mythological stories we didn't cover in the last recap. So let's jump in. The first person to discover coffee was the great King Solomon. He went to a town which was suffering from some sort of ailment, and through the help of Archangel Gabriel, he was able to cure them with coffee, or kawa, as it was known by the Arabs. This story was apparently lost to history, and so it wouldn't be until the 15th century coffee would be discovered again. Next up was a Sufi disciple in Mocha, who was cast out to a cave in the desert after being caught practicing medicine on a princess instead of his master. While out in the desert, he apparently discovered coffee and was made a saint once he returned home with the magic bean. Now, some archaeologists today believe it was the Kingdom of Aksum who brought coffee over to Yemen after conquering Ethiopia, while others believe Yemeni traders brought it back with them from Ethiopia. After the Ottomans conquered Yemen, coffee spread across their empire. Coffee houses began popping up and becoming places of intellectual and political discussion. While the Middle East did their best to monopolize the bean, eventually it was stuck out to India, and before long, it was in every major European nation. Countries like the Netherlands, England, and France began planting coffee beans in their colonies, making it an international crop. The desire for coffee fueled slavery and other cruel forms of labor, but it also fueled new thoughts and ideas of equality and revolution. Coffee houses were centers of Enlightenment thinkers and for revolutionaries in Europe and the United States. It was inside coffee houses the American Revolution was sparked, and it was from atop a table in a cafe the French Revolution began. While coffee houses in England were equally important, being known as penny universities, it was during the American Revolution that Americans switched from tea drinking to coffee, just despite those tea drinking Brits. So after becoming its own nation, America grew into the largest coffee consumer in the world. This led to a need for coffee from a country closer to the U.S., rather than further places like Java or Mocha. So, Brazil filled this role, along with help from most of the countries in Latin America. Brazil's economy was, and still is, largely fueled by coffee exporting. During the American Civil War, the Union blockaded the port of New Orleans in the South to prevent the Confederates from importing goods, including coffee. So, while the Union was able to march and go into battle on coffee, the Confederates were limited to substitutes like chicory. The Civil War actually increased coffee consumption by veterans of the war. So, following the war, coffee was now imported in even larger quantities from Latin America. This was encouraged by two men, John Arbuckle and H.O. Havemeyer. Havemeyer was the king of the sugar trade, and Arbuckle accidentally started a war with him by launching his own sugar-importing business as a means to coat his coffee beans in a glaze to preserve freshness. 
See, Hatmeyer was upset by this new sugar business and so decided to start his own coffee business. They both increased coffee exporting out of Latin America and set up a larger market for name brand coffee. So, to meet this desire in the US, Brazil began overproducing coffee. This led Brazil as a country to face a near economic collapse from trying to buy coffee from farmers as a means of preventing an oversaturated coffee market. Eventually, a committee of seven was formed by Herman Cyclin, who created a monopoly on most of the coffee in the world, storing it in warehouses so they could decrease the surplus of coffee, thereby increasing its value on the market. There was attempts to stop this monopoly from some politicians in the U.S., but ultimately Brazil stepped in and all the charges were dropped. New coffee brands began to rise around this time, such as Folgers, Chase and Sanborn, and MJB. These brands faced setbacks from the great San Francisco earthquake, but it was nothing compared to the setbacks faced as coffee began to be seen by many as a drug drink. Some people, like the creators of the cereal brand Kellogg and Post, began a war on coffee, creating cereal alternatives, and became known as the Antichrist of Coffee as a result. Yet, he in fact drank coffee himself. But as in the past, coffee persevered this attempt at crushing the drink. At around this time, coffee was becoming an international crop arriving in China, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, and the Philippines. But a new threat to coffee also rose out of Sri Lanka, shortly before this, in the 1860s, coffee leaf rust. This devastating fungus has destroyed coffee all over the world. Still though, Vietnam would go on to become a large producer of coffee, but today it produces mostly robusta beans, as they are more resilient to leaf rust. A new movement began to rise in the second half of the 19th century. It would be assisted by the First World War and encouraged by women in the coffee industry. Feminism was now a force to be reckoned with. Shortly before World War I, coffee gained its nickname, Cup of Joe, as a form of passiveness by sailors after the Secretary of the Navy, Josephus Daniels, banned alcohol. And as the world entered into the Great War, coffee was yet again key to soldiers fighting for both sides. Luckily, those stockpiles of coffee being held by Cyclone in Brazil were available for the various nations involved in the war. However, it was from World War I, America pushed for a solution to the crudely made coffee in the trenches. So, instant coffee took off under the brand G. Washington. But World War I was only the first part of a larger conflict. One which would bring nearly every country in the world into war. Get ready, because World War II is on the horizon. Hopefully you enjoyed our Coffee History Recap episode. As always, this show is written and produced by me, Aaron Zaffer. For those of you who have not gone on our social media pages or Patreon, I definitely encourage you to do so. If you want to help our community grow, then definitely check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at The Complete History Podcast. And if you want more exclusive episodes and chances to win prizes and merch from the show, 
then head over to Patreon and consider becoming a patron. With your help, I can quit my silly day job and devote more time to this series, bringing you more history on coffee and many more topics in history to come. But if nothing else, I would love to hear from all of you. So please feel welcome to send me an email anytime at completehistorypod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or even just to say hi. I hope to hear from all of you through our email or on social media. To close, I have a quote. A yawn is a silent scream for coffee.